you will, open your Bibles now at this time to the book of Isaiah, to chapter 38, and we're going to begin in verse 1 in just a few moments. If you'll keep your Bibles open there for just a few minutes. This evening, we're going to talk about a topic that is not very comfortable for any of us to contemplate. We're going to talk about our own death. I know that it's sometimes very difficult when I plan sermons in advance and I try to think about what topics need to be addressed, that uh, you never know when you plan them in advance if there will be several who are experiencing the loss in their family. And my purpose for introducing this is not to create any more sadness in one's family, but is really to cause us to focus ourselves on this particular topic. Hezekiah was faced with a challenge. He was told that he would die and would not live. Hezekiah responded in a way that was faithful and righteous and good, and that's the way you and I ought to consider it when we are faced with that. This lesson has a dual purpose. The first purpose is that of making us consider our own mortality to recognize that it is very possible that one of us or maybe more may not even make it home tonight. There could be a car accident. There could be a heart attack. There could be some other kind of event that would take place that would immediately take our life just like this. You and I have to realize that people are thrust into eternity every day, every hour, And many of them have made no preparations whatsoever. And so for that reason, I want to talk about what Isaiah told Hezekiah. Set your house in order for you will die and not live. So what we're going to do tonight is three things. We're going to look at the prognosis. There was a statement made to him and why Hezekiah was sick and why he was very near death. The second thing I want us to look about is the prospects that he had before him. What can you do when you're in that situation? How do you respond? How do you react? And we need to think about that for a few minutes. And then finally to look at the prayer that he uttered and what that brought about for him. Let's begin first of all. And as we begin, we're going to look at Isaiah 38 verse 1, which is, you'll notice, almost identical to 2 Kings Chapter 20, verse 1. And there it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, son of Amos, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now, when you start asking, What kind of sickness did Hezekiah have? What was it that brought him? Well, if there was nothing else in the chapter, you and I wouldn't know. But if you drop down to verse 21, you will find out that he had a problem of boils. And uh, you might say, well, that's painful, that's uncomfortable, but that's not life-threatening. It can be. If the infection, the abscess, which is under your skin, is thrust into a deeper part of the tissue... It can actually enter your bloodstream, and if it does, then it can very much be life-threatening. Those of us who live today in the, the days of antibiotics 
it's hard for us to appreciate what it might have been before antibiotics and before the, the greatness that you and I enjoy. But many of them, if they were to get some of these, would possibly even come to death. Let me look at verse 21 with you and then also a passage from Deuteronomy and Job. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil and he shall recover. Now the idea of using a poultice is not new, but using figs may be something that we're not fully aware of. But we do recognize that this is something that is a miracle of God, just like when Naaman the leper was told to dip himself seven times in the river Jordan. It was a life-threatening illness, but it was one which God provided a means for him to be recovered from. But if I go back to Deuteronomy 28 and verse 35, as he warned the children of Israel of their pathway, he says, The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed. And from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, you imagine the Lord saying that boils will become so bad that they will not heal. Of course, in Job 2 and verse 7, we learn that a part of Job's suffering was that the Satan struck him with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And you can't imagine the extreme pain of a man who would scrape his skin with pottery just to try to, to get some relief from that. So I recognize the sickness here that Hezekiah has is one that is painful. And I can understand him wondering, will I survive this? But what you notice is the prognosis is you're not going to survive this, Hezekiah. What has been said for you is that you are going to die. And Hezekiah, because of that, here's what you need to do. And someone says, what do you mean to set my house in order? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. In 2 Kings chapter 17... David had been thrust out of the kingdom and his son Absalom was ruling. And he had some men who were his advisors and one of them was a man by the name of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was trying to help David be able to conquer the kingdom and be able to be the sole ruler. And so he tried to provide for him some advice of how to chase David down and kill him with just a small group of, of great fighters. However, after Ahithophel offered that advice, another one of Absalom's advisors by the name of Hushai came in, and Hushai said, no, 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 you don't want to follow Ahithophel's advice. What you want to do is you want to get all the men of Israel all the way from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, and you want to get them together as one man, and you want to go as a a solid force, and wherever David's at, you'll be able to root him out. And when you get there, even if he, he takes refuge in a city, we'll pull the walls down. We'll root him out. Of course, the advice of Ahithophel was the good advice as far as Absalom was concerned. And the advice of Hushai was not really good advice for him. But you see, the Lord was involved in all this. But after Ahithophel found out that his advice was not accepted, 
it says that he saddled his donkey, arose and went to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. He put his house in order. He knew that he was going to die eventually because the advice of Hushai was going to lead to Absalom being overthrown and David coming back. And if he as Ahithophel had offered that advice that would have resulted in David dying, he knew he was going to die himself. And so he goes back home. Well, what does he do when he puts things in order? He has to make sure that everything has been taken care of. And so I ask you the question, if someone were to tell you you're going to die next week, you're going to die in three days, what would you do? How would you set your house in order? Well, I imagine most of us, if we've got life insurance for our family, would want to be able to go back and say, okay, is everything paid up? Are the beneficiaries stated clearly? Will my family be able to know where my policy is so that they can be able to provide for their needs? What about the will? Is the will in order? Will things go the way I want them to? Have arrangements been made for me so that I will be put away in a, at least a respectable fashion? Have decisions been made with regards to my children, to my family? Those are all the kind of questions that one would want to have answered as you put your house in order. The prognosis was certain. What are you going to do? There's a problem, though. There's a limited time. And there's a limited time for you and I as well. Because just like Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. You see, the truth is, I can't do anything after I leave this life. I can't set things in order after I'm gone. I've got to do it now. And if I've been told you're going to die, then you've got to make sure that you do them now. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says that each one may receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad, in the body. That means while I'm alive. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, And it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. So if I'm going to set my house in order, then I'm going to have to do it now. And folks, for just a moment, think with me. Is your house in order? Are you ready? Are you ready with your family physically? Are you ready for something like this to happen? If you're not, then will you leave them exposed? but are you ready spiritually? For instance, would you ask the question, what do I lack? Matthew 19, 20, the young man said, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? You might say, well, I've got my will taken care of. I've got my life insurance. It's paid up. I've got uh, everything planned out. I even have my uh, burial policy paid. But let me ask you, do you have your soul's spiritual welfare taken care of. You don't want to die in your sins. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus said to him, 
He says, I say to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And folks, if you die in your sins, your soul is lost. You don't get to go to heaven. So the prognosis is important here. You will die and not live that it was spoken to Hezekiah. But now for a moment or two, let's talk about the prospect of that. Look with me at the last part of verse 3. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. You know, we have people in our families that do get bad news. And when they get the bad news, the natural reaction is exactly what Hezekiah had. He wept bitterly. I don't want to go. I don't want to leave my family. I feel like there's so much for us to live for that the prognosis has already been announced. How do you respond to it? The truth is some people respond with panic and other people respond with a peaceful resolve. In Acts 24 verse 25, Paul reasoning with Felix says he reasoned with him of righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And Felix was terrified. He was afraid. He answered and said, go away. For now, when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. As far as we know, that convenient time never came. But as he listened, as he thought about it, it was terrifying. Soul shaking. On the other hand, won't you listen to 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Do you realize that you get to a point in life when you are mature, when you are walking with the Lord and you love the Lord and you know the Lord loves you. And you know that on the day of judgment you're not going to get into heaven because you say, look how great I am, God. You're going to get into heaven because you know God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you and you have chosen to walk in His ways and you know His blood's washing you constantly as you walk in His light. That's the reason why you'll see some elderly Christian who has made things right with the Lord, who knows their future. That's the reason why 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says, Wherefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. And so you get to where you have the attitude like Paul did in Philippians. He's in jail, and he says in chapter 1 and verse 23, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better. If I die, great. I can get to go be with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, We are confident, yes, and well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You give me a choice, I'll go on. 
At this point, Hezekiah evidently doesn't have everything in order. And so what are your prospects? What are you looking forward to? Which brings me to the third part. And I want you to look with me now at verses 2 and 3 in this context. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He turned his face to the wall and he prayed. Hezekiah is not a man who just uses prayer when it is convenient. He's a man of prayer. He's prayed before and scripture records it. In fact, for just a moment, if you want to flip back in your Bibles, one chapter to chapter 37, let me set up for you the events that we're going to read about in verses 14 and 15. The king of Assyria has been going through all of the walled cities in Judah and Samaria, and he's been basically knocking the walls down and taking the people. In fact, at the present time, he's fighting against the city of Lachish. And he's headed toward Jerusalem, and he has sent forward his captain of the guard called the Reb Shekah. And he is there, and he is basically mocking Hezekiah. The, the people in the city are walled up. They can't go out. There's an army of the Assyrians surrounding them all around. And they're taunting Hezekiah and the men by saying, look at all these cities. They've fallen. Their gods are not able to stand against us. What makes you think your God is going to be able to stand against us? You will fall just like everyone else has fallen. And Sennacherib, the ruler is now breathing down Hezekiah's neck and has sent him a letter. And the letter is a threat. How's he going to deal with it? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, and there's a, a beautiful prayer recorded in the rest of Isaiah chapter 37. He recognizes God's greatness, His goodness, His majesty, and all that God has done for him. He's a praying man. You know what happens? 185,000 men die that night at the hand of the angel of the Lord. Sennacherib turns tail and goes home. And while he's worshiping in one of his temples, one of his sons rises up and kills him. Oh, yeah. You see, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord and God answered his prayer. And when I get to chapter 38 and verse 5, I again see God answering prayer. Isaiah says to is told, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayers, I've seen your tears, surely I will add to your days 15 years. Oh, God heard him. Just like he heard him in chapter 37, he hears him in chapter 38. Oh, do you mean if I find myself in a situation where it looks hopeless, 
that I can pray to God and God will answer my prayers? Absolutely, He can. may not always answer the way that we want to. And sometimes you and I don't exactly know how to express the feelings of our heart. I've had people come and sit in the office who've gotten bad news and they'll go through a box of Kleenexes crying just like Hezekiah. I don't know how to put it. I don't know how to say it. That's okay. And when I go to Romans chapter 8 verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That is, if I can't express it, God is able through the Spirit to look into my heart and into my mind and know exactly how I feel. What a comforting thought that is. But God does not always answer our prayers like we wish. You know, sometimes our situation in life looks bleak. And God sometimes says, that's okay, it's good for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I plead with the Lord three times, and it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, Paul said, I prayed three times. God, please remove this. And God said, no, Paul, you need it. My grace is sufficient. It is enough. Sometimes we may ask God to bless us with removing something, and God may say, no, but I will give you the strength, the sufficiency that you need to be able to handle it. But I would not be fair if I did not deal with at least one other aspect of this before we leave it. And that is, don't let too many yeses deceive you. And you say, what do you mean by that? In Isaiah 37, he prayed with regard to the Assyrian encampment, God, please deliver us. And you know what God did? He delivered him. In chapter 38, he said, God, please remove this sickness from me and let me live. God said, okay, I'll let you live 15 years. Second Chronicles 32, verses 23 through 26, records this. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that after he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. Now listen carefully. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown to him. For his heart was lifted up. Therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. 
Oh, you mean if the Lord gives me a blessing over here and the Lord gives me a blessing over here, it might be possible that I might get to think, I can do whatever the Lord wants me, or I can do whatever I want to because the Lord's always going to take care of me. Never should we feel that we demand things from God nor even expect that He will give us everything that we want. God will not be abused. And neither should we ever have this attitude of, of arrogance and pride like Hezekiah did. Thankfully, he recognized the mistake that he made and he humbled himself. But beware when the Lord blesses you that you don't allow that blessing to become a temptation to misuse the Lord. What's the moral of the message about Hezekiah in chapter 38, verses 1 through 3? And that is you've got to be ready for eternity at any time. Oh, if I go to Luke 12, verse 20, here's a man who's done so well. To, he says, I'm going to tear down my barns and we'll build bigger barns. I'm going to say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, fool, this night... Your soul will be required of you. And then who will those things be which you have provided? Have you thought about your future financially? This man had. Had this thought of man, man thought about his future spiritually? No, he had not. That's the reason why God caused him a fool. In James chapter 4, 13 and 14. Come now, you today. Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city. Spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen on tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You don't have that much time to waste. Hezekiah is good proof of that. Hezekiah says in chapter 38 verse 12, my lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. He recognized it's just like the making. I think of the loom. I think of the quilt. And they're making that beautiful quilt there. And as you get those threads, they, they cut them off to make them smooth. When the loom and the, the rug is finished, you cut it off. It's done. Are you ready? If you are not, then listen to the words that were spoken to Hezekiah. Set your house in order. If you need to become a Christian, we urge you tonight. We plead with you. We beg you. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're a Christian carrying sin around with you, it's time to lay it down and it's time to come and ask God to provide you the deliverance. The Lord is calling you. Will you come while together we stand and sing?